Yay, what's up everybody? This is The Greatest Show on Dirt. Sunday, August 19th, this is your host Quentin, coming to you live from the Sweet Bee Studios, and one of probably what's grown into like one of my funnest, like most enjoyable segments of the show is having John Roberts on the show, who I like to call the professor of The Greatest Show on Dirt, who comes with some of the best baseball insight and expertise. John, how are you doing, my man? Hey, what's up, Q? Man, I'm just enjoying the Sunday. Dude, that is what's up, man. I think the Cubs play, they're right now in a 1-1 tie with the Pirates, and they've had like a super, super tight series, um, I would say, over this whole time. Um, they had a couple one nothing wins. Uh, they fell yesterday, then they're, uh, you know, they're grinding today trying to get a win. And that's honestly why um, one of the first things I want to talk about is to jump right into the Cubs. Me and you both being huge diehard Cubs fans. The National League race is getting super, super tight. And the Cubs season hasn't went a lot like what we thought it would be. Um, Albert Almora has been kind of like a standout guy. I don't know, like coming into the season, if people thought he was going to be this defensive powerhouse. John Lester's kind of had a rough go since the all-star break, as well as Kyle Hendricks trying to find his way. Um, And then of course, Chris Bryant being injured, but this Cubs team has had two super impactful players that I don't think any of us saw coming. And the first guy that I am beyond excited to talk about because the man had a walk-off Grand Slam last weekend is Chicago's own, well, from, hailing from Colorado, David Bodie. So last weekend, David Bodie hits the first ever walk-off of his career, hadn't hit a Grand Slam, I think, since like single A ball, and absolutely pounded a ball straight to center field for a walk-off Grand Slam. So John, the first thing I want to know is what you think of David Bodie and exactly how much has he meant to this Cubs team with all the injuries that they've had? Well, first thing, I think, uh, welcome to the hearts and minds of Chicago, David Bodie. Uh, nobody's ever going to forget that grand slam. And, you know, uh, Chicago fans, whether it's, uh, you know, the magical season that Brant Brown had or Brian Scalabrini, like, or Matt Merton, like, we love these guys, right? When they kind of pop up off the radar and they kind of show up, uh, Cubs fans, Chicago fans in general, uh, just really embrace those type of guys, man. And we, we hold them near and dear to our heart. And, uh, you know, the, it's been fun to watch, you know, David Bodie, uh, transition, you know, this year, I think last year at the end of last year in the minor leagues, uh, he made people's ears perk up a little bit. And then at spring training, I think he made a lot of people take notice. And then when he got his call, when he got his chance, when he got to the major leagues, you know, Unlike Mark Zagunas, unlike Victor Carantini to a point, unlike Yamir Candeliero, unlike a lot of these guys who have come up over the last few years, he took his opportunity and he made everybody take notice. And he, make it, he, he made it clear that uh, he's a part of this team and he's a part of this, this team to stay. And I think the, the more interesting thing about it when I look at David Bodie as a whole is not the, the micro sense, but the macro sense. And I guess what I'll explain is this. When, when Theo took the gig, he talked about building a team that would compete year in and year out and saying that I can't promise the world series every year, but I can promise that we're going to put a competitive team in there every year with a chance to make the playoffs 
And if you just keep doing that, then at the end of the day, you can win two or three of the things because you just have to get there. And when you look at the teams in the, in the National League that have done that, you know, the, the Cardinals back when a few years ago and then, and then the Dodgers the last several years, the one thing these teams all have in common is that they have their own guys, right? These, these unheralded guys that they either get, you know, for LA, I mean, you look at it, it's Brandon Morrow or it's Matt, Max Muncy or it's Justin Turner, you know, or Matt Kemp. It's these guys that get off the garbage heap or these guys who aren't highly targeted prospects who come in and make a difference on day one. And, and until David Bodie, the Cubs haven't had that. Uh, you look up and down the line, if it's all first-round picks and free agents. And to be sustainable, to do what the Cubs are doing in a league that has basically a soft salary cap, you have to have David Bodie's. And I think that's the most exciting thing about it is that if this David Bodie thing is for real and if he is here to stay, uh, you know, Theo and Jed and Joe, they're going to have some decisions to make going forward because you got to get that guy in the lineup every day. And going forward the next, you know, five or six years uh, as, as other guys get closer to free agent, David Bodie's going to make some of these decisions on the Cubs a little bit easier than I thought they were going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Bodie, you explained it as the perfect explanation to it because you've got this guy that comes up and he's a grinder. And I read an article, I think, last week um, from a Colorado newspaper since David Bodie's a Colorado kid, and they had talked to his dad and his dad, all his dad talked about was David's work ethic and how young kids learn from that. Because his dad is a baseball coach, I believe, of, I don't know if it's like junior high or high schoolers or whatever out in Colorado. But the one thing he said about David that I've read in, in article after article is how this guy doesn't stop. And what you had just mentioned about like those Max Muncy types or like, if you're talking about those Cardinals when, you know, David Freeze having all like those big postseason moments, it's important to have that guy because, you know, what he means to the organization. You know, this isn't a first round draft pick, but this is a guy that can come in and grind who at one point his wife talked him into continuing to play baseball because he was like, oh, I'm not too sure if this is for me or not, to which his wife replied, hey, we didn't sit through all the summer ball for you to quit. Like you keep grinding and you keep playing. And that's a guy that's done just that. And it's like you said, what he brings to the clubhouse is going to emanate through that clubhouse and hopefully keep these guys grinding when they've had like a lot of key injuries. And all I know is the moment I saw that grand slam, I didn't watch the majority of that game, but I tuned in in the ninth inning. And man, like I feel like what that did to the team in that moment, because this Cubs team, they haven't had it easy this year. This touted rotation that was supposed to come in and dominate really isn't any better than the Brewers rotation, which we thought was going to be garbage because you've had inconsistent outings from Q Hendricks and things like that. And just for him to spark that up, man, it is just what you said, because there have been playoff teams in the past, whether you're the Cardinals or the Giants, or you've, you know, you've got the Dodgers and Max Money, man, guys like this mean so much to the team, and I cannot wait to see what happens with him. And just another good problem that the Cubs have is a heavy, good bat, a good player in the lineup that can play multiple positions. And to me, and tell me what you think of this, because when I first, like, when Joe Madden first started coming in, you know, like in 2015 and 2016 especially, he was moving a lot of guys around. And when the Cubs would, like, go on, like, a little bit of a skid, I would get frustrated and say, why does Joe Madden keep moving these guys around? But then... 
as you really start to see Joe coach and see the finished product, it seems to benefit the team and these players more to learn this type of versatility because there's not a lot of stability in Major League Baseball with injuries, having to pick up where guys left off and things like that. In your opinion, how much does it mean to build these players like David Bodie that can play multiple positions and create this versatile clubhouse? Well, Joe gets a lot of credit, but I, I really think that baseball, baseball as a whole and baseball in general, I, that's where it's moving, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think Joe gets a lot of credit for it because I think he, you know, he was a bench coach and kind of an organization guy for a really long time. And, you know, it was in doubt whether he'd ever get a shot to manage. And then when he got the shot to manage in Tampa, he had took – all of these, you know, these ideas and these concepts that he had that that he had developed in his years in the Angels organization, and he decided, you know, this might be my only shot to manage, you know, uh, Tampa Bay because of their situation with their payroll and with their farm system. If I'm ever going to do this, is it going to be the time to do it? And he did it, and he worked, and, and the rest is history. And he's done it in Chicago since he got there. And what I think it allows you to do, and you know, because baseball is, is played a lot differently than it was when we were kids, and even before that, everything is about the analytics, and everything is a, is matchup based. And having a guy who can play three or four positions, and being able to basically play musical chairs with your entire lineup, day in day out, a allows you to set your matchups, but B it doesn't allow the opposing pitcher the opportunity to two or three days before a game sit on, you know, to sit in the film room and grind away. Because if it's the Cubs, you know, there's, there's eight hitters in the lineup and you might face maybe up to 14 of them or maybe 13 of them. You know, you know, there's guys that are going to be in there every day, but you don't know who, and you don't know at what place in the lineup. And I think it makes it really hard for a pitcher to prepare, which only makes it more, that more effective. Um, but, you know, the the Javi Baez's and Ben Zobris and David Bodies of the world and even Ian Happ, those guys don't grow on trees. And I think that that's really uh, speaks to the system that, that, that Theo has built, um, you know, and, and Jed and even Jason McLeod, because when you look at the Cubs minor league system, they're stacked with these guys that play all over the diamond. Yeah, and I'd say that's probably one of the big reasons why they got past the Nationals last year in the NLDS because when that pitching staff was rolling, when they had Strasburg, and then they were getting some pretty decent starts out of Tanner Roark, and then, of course, you have, like, Scherzer and Gio Gonzalez. For the life of me, I did not see the Cubs getting through that because they had had some offensive woes, but I would say they powered through that for that exact reason. They're harder to prep for because that pitcher's going to have to do so much more homework, and then instead of prepping for nine guys, they've got about 14 guys to prep for. And in the heat of the battle, that's got to be a hard thing to adjust to. Um, one other thing I wanted to yeah, ask. Plus the oh. ability, the, well, the, also, too, like Joe's ability to flip the, the lineup late in the game. Yeah. Um, you, you know, as you get a third time through the, through the order or you get late in games and you get into the bullpens, because of that depth and that ability uh, to, you know, he can he can – Take Javi and Javi. I mean, I've seen Javi Baez play three positions in the mm-hmm. same game, and he can do that. And it gives Joe the ultimate 
flexibility to do whatever he wants late in the game to get the best matchup. And I think that's the biggest, like, I mean, that's the biggest nugget that I can throw in there. Oh, yeah. And one of the craziest things about this, which I just thought of when you were saying that, is they can all play defense. Javi Baez can launch a ball from third, but I've seen David Bodie make a couple plays at third. Where you're like, he made a bare hand play last week, and I was like, holy crap, did you see that? And not everybody makes that play. And then even if you've got to, you know, take Hayward out of the lineup for matchups because you've got a power lefty in there, if you're going to put Ian Happ in the outfield or move him and Almora around, you're not really sacrificing a lot on defense many times when you've got to make those late in-game moves, which has got to be huge because if you're putting guys in there for platoon reasons where you want to get those matchups, you don't have to sacrifice anything on defense, which I think is phenomenal. Right, and one thing that I kind of... And this is way, you know, this is looking way far forward. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if, if David Bodie's emergence is for real and he's here to stay and it's not just lightning in a bottle, does this, does this prompt Chris Bryant to become an outfielder? Is that where this thing ends? That was about the question I was going to ask you was, like, Chris Bryant's going to come back before this season's up. And one of the things you had mentioned, which is 100% true, is David Bodie has got to be in this lineup. And what do you do with him? And we know Chris Bryant can play those outfield positions. If I knew the answer to that question, I was going to ask you, my man, because I really don't know. You know, you might be right, because it seems like Bodie can play a good third from what I've seen. Um, What do you think about his defensive prowess at third? What have you seen? I mean, what I can can tell you is what I've seen with my eye, which is that since coming up, he's played – you know, well above average third base. He makes plays. And, uh, you know, I, I saw a stat. Um, it's kind of one of those, you know, kind of one of those uh, under-the-surface stats you don't hear all the time. The Cubs lead the league in uh, basically uh, – I'm trying to remember the way that it was phrased. But basically it's uh, non-routine plays. The Cubs mm-hmm. lead the league in non-routine plays. And since coming up, David Bodie has made six of those. Oh, okay. So I, I think that, you know, I think he's a good defensive third baseman. And, I, you know, and, it, and that gives you the ability to make Chris Bryant your everyday left fielder and then mix and match Elmore in half and center, use Jason Hayward in right, and then, you know, get Schwarvins over us in there when he can mm-hmm. and, and let Joe do his thing. I think that um, it get, it puts the Cubs in in the best position to continue to do what they've done all season long, which is hit hit well. Yeah, and then you gotta like. The, all, oh, sorry. Go ahead. You know, it also well, you know, because third base, you know, one the other thing too is that throw across the diamond is it's a quick switch, it's a quick you know twitch throw, right? And if if Chris is having shoulder problems making those longer throws in the outfield for a while might be, might be better for him anyways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would make sense for sure because a throw to third base seems like it could be much harder on a guy's shoulder because you've got to make that throw quick, and it's one of those like quick sidearm throws. I mean, we've seen it with Kyle Seeger too who had Tommy John this past season on his elbow. That is rough on a person's body, no doubt. Um, sure. I was about to ask you something. Let me ask you about Addison Russell. I know, like, we didn't talk about this pregame, but I know you'll have an opinion on it because you are indeed the professor. Addison, so when you talk about, like, getting Hap 
and Zobris like into the mix and then Schwarber and things like that. I'm intrigued with like Addison Russell because he had a pretty good part of like a little bit of this season where his OPS was starting to get above 740, 750, but now he's sunk and he's at an OPS like below 700 right now. And defensively, I think statistically, like his defensive numbers had looked good, but a few times this season, I've seen him take a throw at second and like pump it and throw and guys get infield singles off of him. Do you think that Addison Russell maybe has some defensive problems and that could influence like maybe Javi moving to short for the postseason because of that bat and then maybe putting Zobrist at second because Zobrist is batting like I think 307 or something like that for the year. Um, what do you think they do with Addy come postseason? I think Addy long-term is the shortstop of the Chicago Cubs. Okay. And I think that you have to, you know, he he's not – you know, he's not Machado, he's not Seager, but he is a very good and above average shortstop, particularly in the National League. Mm-hmm. When you look at his numbers, um, what he's done since he's, come, since he's come up, he's hit for a decent average, he's hit plenty of home runs, he's hit plenty of RBIs, um, and defensively, he, make, you know, he makes all the routine plays, and he makes a lot of non-routine plays. Javi's more flashy for sure, mm-hmm. but I think that Addison just gets the job done. And and the thing is, he's what twenty three, twenty four years old. By twenty four, yeah. I mean he's young. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean he's young, and I think that patience is going to pay off. I think Javi Baez is a prime example of how patience pays off. So I think that you know Addy's going to be in the lineup. He's going to be the Cubs shortstop, and barring some sort of uh, reincarnation of Starlin Castro. I just don't. I, I just don't see. I don't think shortstop is your problem. Left field is way more of a problem for this mm-hmm. team than shortstop. And you can use Zobrist and a half in those guys and left. I mean, that's where they've played all season long. But but when you look at production that the Cubs have gotten versus the rest of the National League, they're getting plenty of production on a shortstop. It's left field. It's hurt. Yeah, no doubt, because I've seen, I mean, we've both seen Schwarber boots and balls out there, and you're like, no, like it kind of hurts to watch. Well, I, I, I mean, I'm even just talking about offensive production. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, they're sagging behind, and if you have a, um, offensively, even even though he's not slugging, you know, like we believe he's capable of, Addison is still an above-average offensive shortstop. Mm-hmm, yeah. Particularly in the National League. So, uh, you know, don't bro- you don't have to fix what ain't broken. And the kid's 24. He's only going to get better. And, and we know this. Anybody who's watched Addison Russell, that kid's game is all about confidence. Yep. And if you want to make sure that Addison Russell never lives up to being Barry Larkin like Billy Bean said he would, uh, bench him now or pull him out in the playoffs. And that's, a good way to, and that's a good way to make sure that Joe never gets out of that kid what we all know is in there. Yeah, I love it, man, because him coming up, I mean, he was such a top prospect. Like, he was in the same sentence, and I think at one point was rated even a higher prospect than guys like Lindor and Carlos Correa because they were all about the same age, and they were all prospects around the same time. And, I mean, the guy's got such a good build. Like, he is a powerful kid. He's got shoulders, my man. They are as wide as, like, a really big refrigerator. Like, he's built extremely well, where you just know by looking at him, he's a strong kid. 
Yeah, it's all about confidence. It really mm-hmm. is. And 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 we've seen him uh, you know, the end of like the end of two thousand sixteen, uh, when Joe put him in the five hole of the lineup. I mean, Addison I I mean I didn't know if that was Addison Russell that I was watching or if that was Brett Boone. I mean, he was just crushing guys. And he and he was coming up with big hit after big hit. And that's the biggest thing about Addison that I enjoy as a fan is he doesn't shrink in the big moments. Mm-mm. Um, you know, we've seen him, a uh, couple you know, in the Cardinal series back, uh, back in 2015, you know, he made that huge defensive play. Um, that was like Ozzie Smith, like to, to, you know, kill a rally, uh, kill a Cardinals rally in the ninth and end the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen him hit home run, you know, he hit home runs in the world series. He hit home runs in the NLCS, uh, the kid shows when the lights are on and it matters, the kid shows up and his game is all about confidence. And I think that it's just about finding ways to put him in, in situations to build on that. Mm-hmm. And, and I really honestly, in my heart of hearts, believe that whether it's next year or the year after that, he's going to hit a corner, he's going to turn a corner and he's going to hit a switch. And we're going to be talking about one of the best players in the national league would not be surprised because his defensive war, like if you want to get statistical about it, his defensive war through three seasons isn't that far off from what Ozzie Smith's defensive war was that past three seasons. And when you factor in, you know, looking beyond the data to who he is as a person and how he thrives, there's no better spot for him to thrive than for this Chicago Cubs team that continues to find itself in the big moments. When you look at that combined with, the offense that we know is there and he just needs to simply grow into it because he's only 24 and you don't just know how to hit a baseball coming from triple a to the majors because guys are throwing harder than ever man i hope you're right and you very well might be right because there's he's he's got a bat that my man has got potential to him he was a 100 rbi guy just a couple seasons ago or well he had 95 yeah yeah, I mean, so much of hitting is confidence. It oh, really yeah. is. And, and like I said, you know, with Addy, that's what it all is. Um, it, it, the two things that hold Addison Russell back are confidence and approach. Mm-hmm. And both of those are fixable. Both of those things are manageable. And, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, like I said, it, it ain't fixed. It ain't broken. You don't need to fix it. I like that, man. I like it. I mean, plus they're a pretty sweet double play combo when you got Addy and Javi. They turned seven double plays. Speaking of Cole Hamels, which we're going to jump into now, seven double plays, which was, I think, only two other teams in all of Major League Baseball history had ever done so. I think like a Yankees team and another team I don't remember, which is a bonkers number to think that you can do that because so much of a pitcher's success, I mean, it really depends on the defense behind you, which we've seen with Jake Arrieta with the Phillies this season, who's had ton, tons of like just frustration because of the defense behind him. And at that point, you really realize just how good this Cubs defense was, how it made such a huge impact in 2016 when they went to the World Series. And by far, how Cole Hamels has benefited from it. Cause right now I think in four starts, Cole Hamels is three and O with like a 0.75 ERA. He has just breathed life into this clubhouse because you've got this lefty 
and I think we talked about it maybe a few weeks ago, who didn't have the prettiest numbers coming into this situation. But again, this speaks to exactly what you said about you know, what kind of guts does this guy have? Like, who is he behind the numbers? And in what situations will he thrive? And it seems right now that Cole Hamels is thriving, being now inserted into this pennant race. Tell me what you think and what you've seen from Cole Hamels so far. Well, I mean, we, you know, we talked a few weeks ago before the deadline when they acquired him and, and I, and I brought up, you know, uh, Randy Johnson when he was traded to the Astros and of course, Justin Verlander last year. And I felt like the Cubs had a chance to get that kind of pickup. And right now a month into it, it looks like that's what, exactly what's happened. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and he's just breathed life into this rotation and life into this team uh, you look at the way the Brewers have played up until lately, and then you look at the way the Cardinals are playing right now without Cole Hamels, uh, especially with the Darvish news from today, uh, this team would be sunk. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know the way that Cole Hamels, and I actually think the way that John Lester pitched the other night has a lot to do with Cole Hamels, oh, too. Oh, yeah. And I'm wondering if going down the stretch, if we're not going to see these two kind of like, oh, yeah, well, check – We'll do this. Oh, yeah, we'll do this. I'm wondering if you're going to get that kind of thing going on start to start between these two because we both know they're super competitive guys. Oh, yeah, and John Lester having Lackey in the lineup when he had him, I mean, created like this monster. Right, and I – and I think that Cole gives him that, and I think Cole gives the Cubs that. And the the way that he's pitching, I don't think he's going to continue to pitch to a sub-1 ERA. Mm-hmm. But if he can p- continues to pitch well down the stretch, uh, my qu- well, I believe if he pitches well this well down the stretch, the Chicago Cubs are going to make the playoffs. They're probably going to win the division. And then I wonder, is he your game one starter? That is a good question because I could see that going both ways because I love – because it's got to be between Cole Hamels and John Lester. And I absolutely love John Lester in those big game moments. I, I personally like – Unless something drastic happens, like if John Lester continues to have good starts like he had the other day, I think I still go with Lester because he's my guy. But if Lester can, you know, if Lester continues to have some hiccups like he's had post All Star break, I guess Cole has to be your guy because I would initially say I would love Kyle Hendricks in that situation because coming into this year, I had thought to myself, this is Kyle's year because he had that World Series performance in 2016 in Game 7, and like he's finally going to grow up, and maybe he's going to take that role from Lester as Lester ages, and we haven't seen that from Kyle so much because he's been hurt by that home run ball. So it's for sure got to be between Cole and Lester. I think I go Johnny if the rest of the season suits out well for him, but man, if there are hiccups in that, you might be right, and you might have to go with Cole. Right. Well, either way, I think I think Joe's going to have three or eight options, and uh, there's a lot of teams that are going to make the playoffs that only have one option. Yeah. So I think uh, I think that's going to bode well for us as long as we can, uh, you know, win this division and play well down the stretch, and maybe stop uh, trying to win games with solo home runs. Yeah, and I guess I just realized today the Cubs are in a one-one game in Quintana pitched which I think is a phenomenal sign because his last two starts were pretty shaky. So got to like that for sure. I'm going to check to see how much he pitched today. Because Quintana's one of the guys that – Oh, sorry. Go ahead. 
Well, he had a little trouble the third time through the lineup, and I think that's been his bugaboo all season. Yeah. Um, but with, you know, with Quintana, he's given the Cubs innings, and he's given the Cubs a lot of starts. But, you know, I think everybody is just kind of waiting. Uh, it's just kind of waiting on him to pitch the way that he pitched, you know, in 2015 and 2016. Because mm-hmm. um, the Cubs gave up a ton to get the guy. And uh, it's kind of getting to that point where it's put up or shut up. Yeah. Um, and, he, you know, if, if things don't turn, he might find himself out of the uh, rotation if they may, if and when they do make the playoffs, I guess it could happen because if you end up running, you know, if you've got Johnny and Cole and then you've got Kyle in there, then if you end up having to run Mike in that situation as your fourth starter, I guess, and I guess he probably would be out. What happened with you Darvish today? I haven't read about it yet. Uh, he pitched an inning and he went out with elbow with uh, pain in his elbow. Ah. And it sounds like he's going to have an MRI and, when you look at the calendar, I don't think they could afford another setback. So I think in the next couple of days, we're going to hear that Udarvish's season is over. Um, super disappointing. Um, super, super disappointing. But, you know, the way that, the way that he was pitching prior to this, they're not losing, they're not losing much, at least not this season. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's tough. Yeah, and I do. I guess the one thing that I can rest easy on is the experience that these guys have coming in. So at the top of the rotation, you've got John Lester and Cole Hamels, which are two of the most experienced guys who have had to pitch in the postseason and who have found success. I mean, we all know what John Lester's done in Boston and Chicago. And then Cole doing what he did in 08 against Joe Madden in the Rays, which I wondered if every time Joe Madden sees Cole pitch good, if he has like nightmares that night like oh Cole's pitching good but oh he's on my team I forgot right and then Mike Montgomery like I mean you know that's the guy that closed out game seven once um you know Carl Edwards had hicked up hicked up a little bit and I guess my only thing is just looking at this bullpen wondering like you know what's Brandon Morrow gonna do um I think he maybe pitched yesterday or is gonna today in some sort of rehab situation I'm not too sure but um maybe that's the only thing that's up in the water I think that's the one thing, you know, we talked about it going into the deadline. I really, which, and they picked up Nitzler, who's, you know, he's, he closed in Minnesota and he's a good arm um, and a guy that, that you can rely on. But I was really, really hoping that Theo was going to get a guy who could close, um, you know, in, in the names that were talked about, like Osuna and Familia, uh, Zach Britton, uh, Brad Brock, you know, I I was really hoping that Theo was going to go out there and get one of those guys, get himself a Brandon Morrow insurance policy. And, of course, Strokey has, has, has stepped up into that role, and he's been phenomenal. Um, but how great would it be if you could roll Strokey out in the seventh because oh, you've yeah. got Morrow and another guy in the ninth? And that's one thing I wonder about. Um, but if Morrow comes back, pitching the way that he's pitched all year, that bullpen is going to be just fine. Uh, but I do think that that could be, you know, uh, that that could be a chink in the armor for sure. And, uh, and, I, and I definitely think come playoff time, it's going to be something to watch because we do live in the day, of age, the day and age of super bullpens. Mm-hmm. And I think that the, uh, the Cubs are like that one big arm away 
from having a Super Bowl ten. Yeah, well, we shall see soon um, because I know the Cardinals are kind of hot on their tail and the Brewers are seem to be falling back a little bit, so I don't think they've been winning like they should. I know they're not getting Jimmy Nelson back. I haven't really seen much of Josh Hader, I feel like, lately. I don't even know how he's been pitching. Um, but I've got pr- I'm pretty confident. Well, think, oh, go ahead. Well, I just think that with Milwaukee um, – Man, they rode that bullpen so much early in the year because mm-hmm. their rotation is not good at all. And 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 I think that you're starting to see the cumulative effect of that. And come playoff time, I, I just – who who's going to pitch in October? Because um, they're wearing through these guys, and I think you're starting to see the league figure some of these guys out too. Um you know, in Milwaukee at the deadline, they just went and they acquired a ton of infielders, and they didn't really address what they really needed to address with, was pitching. And I guess their concept was they're just going to outslug everybody. But the problem is they're not the Chicago Cubs. Mm-hmm. They can't just go out there and outslug everybody. As good as Jonathan Scope is, or as good as you know Eric Thames can be, or any of these other guys in the lineup, or Mike Mustakis. Um, these guys are, are, you know, uh, true outcome guys, right? There's their strikeout, you know, their strikeout home run walk. And as, as Cubs fans, as we've learned last year and in 2015, if that's all you've got in the lineup, it's not going to work in the NLCS. It's not going to work in the NLDS. So regardless of what Milwaukee does, I just don't, I mean, I could be a fool, but I just don't think they're going to go far in the playoffs because I think that their their rotation has limitations, their bullpen is going to be worn out, and their lineup has and and their lineup is incomplete. And defensively, with all the moving and shifting, and I mean, I guess it's only a matter of time before Brian before Brian Braun's playing shortstop or something. Yeah. With all the moving and shifting and everything they've done uh, defensively, it seems a mess. Uh, so I just don't think it bodes well. Now the Cardinals, uh, nobody wants to play the St. Louis Cardinals right now. That's a scary team because of the talent's there, and we just we've wondered why they didn't put it together, and and it looks like they've put it together. And I think that's that's what's going to tell the story in the National League is are the Cardinals going to continue to play like this, or are they going to fall back to the law of averages a little bit? But right now, I'm way more concerned about the Cardinals than I am the Brewers. Yeah, I am 100%. Like, they've got, like, Harrison Bader is a phenomenal outfielder. He's hitting well. He's one of the fastest guys in all of baseball. Tyler O'Neill's coming up good because they tra- they let go of Tommy Pham um, a few weeks ago, and that was like, whoa, like, what did that happen? Because in 2017, like, Tommy Pham was a stud. I think rated, like, after the season was overrated, one of the best center fielders in all the National League. And so you saw that move and you were like, oh, yeah, you know, they had to, they sent him away. They dropped Greg Holland. Like the bullpen might be in shambles. They've got Bud Norris and then they've got Jordan Hicks, who throws like 100 plus miles an hour. I think the on average for a reliever is the fastest fastball on average in all of well, baseball. But then, also, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, a month ago, um, the conversation was totally different. It was about how the Cardinals had lost their way and Jeff Luno had taken all that magic to Houston and the Cardinals were never going to be that team again. And, 
and and on and on and on and on. And then as they started to play better baseball, if I hear the word salsa one more time, I might break something. <laughs> but maybe it's just maybe it's just as simple as this. Maybe Mike Matheny really did just suck. I mean. Maybe that's all it was. Maybe Matheny really did just suck. Maybe he was just really what Cardinal fans have said for years, that the guy was just a bad manager and he cost him games. Mm-hmm. I think that's a better explanation than Salsa at this point. Yeah, because it was night and day. And I remember reading Cardinals Twitter like the past two seasons where on a nightly basis, if you would just search Mike Matheny, I mean, it was just fan after fan that was like, Get this guy out of here. And since they've had him out, I think this team is like 21 and 10. They've basically, it's almost like they've just stopped giving a crap. And we're like, you know, let's get Tommy out of here. Dexter Fowler's on the DL, who is like one of our big signings. Let's put Harrison Bader in there, Tyler O'Neill in there. Just get these young guys going. I know they've recently moved Luke Weaver to the bullpen because they've got a guy, Daniel Ponce de Leon, who pitched that seven inning of no-hit ball about a month ago against the Reds. And they're riding these young kids, and it's almost like, let's just do this thing. No expectations. Let's go out there and have some fun. And, dude, I'm having nightmares at night. I do not. I'm like you, man. I agree 100%. It's the Cardinals team that I'm worried about most. And this team has always, like, consistently just got hot late in the year. And then they just ruin the hopes and dreams of every team they go after. My only concern, like, I love their offense. It's their starting rotation that I wonder, like, how far it'll carry him. Carlos Martinez has been hit and miss. Um, Jack Flaherty's got a phenomenal slider. Miles Michaelis went from being known to biting the heads off of live lizards to all of a sudden throwing, like, 150 innings this season of a sub-three earned run ball and 13 wins. And then you've got Hicks and Norris in the bullpen. Um, and that's my question to that is if they can make this run hold up, I feel like it's going to come to their arms because they've had to do a lot of shuffling. You know, they've had starters like Carlos Martinez, Luke Weaver that haven't worked out, that they've had to send to the DL, send to the bullpen. And then obviously sending Greg Holland out of the way. Brett Cecil, I don't think, ever done what they've wanted him to do. Um, it's going to be a fun race, I'll tell you that, so... But other than that, man, I guess we'll wrap this thing up, dude. We got a good Cubs conversation going. Do you have anything else that you want to add to this, man? Uh, no, man, I think that's good. Um, well, actually, yeah, one one thing I just wanted to kind of touch on, give give the Oakland Athletics a little love uh, with what they've done um, and, and just kind of make the point that I've been a fan of Billy Bean uh, pretty much my entire adult life because he does this. Um, every year for, for the Oakland athletics, it's like David versus Goliath mm-hmm. and, and every, you know, every couple of years, Billy puts one of these teams together that they go on a run and they either make the playoffs or they get close to the playoffs, but they kind of come out of nowhere and they, they kind of come out of nowhere and they become the story and he's doing it again this year. And it's like, it's David versus Goliath. And most of the time, Billy doesn't even have a freaking slingshot. And it's just fun to watch. Mm-mm. It's been something like it's crazy to sit and think right now. This Oakland A's team, they for the past three seasons, they've averaged 91 losses. And then this year, right now where we stand, statistically speaking, there is good win loss wise. That is 
as the Houston Astros. That blows my mind. And when you look at the additions that Billy Beans made, like your admiration of him is spot on. Like Edwin Jackson, I think's thrown like 50-something innings of sub-three earned run ball. Trevor Cahill, we know Trevor Cahill because he was a Cub. He just pitched seven innings of one-hit ball against the Astros. And at one point, he was an 18-game winner, like maybe three or four years ago. And you look at that with like the Blake Trinan edition when he dumped off some of his relievers last year, and you begin to wonder, like, is Billy Bean just three steps ahead of everybody? Because when he dealt away what was it, Sean Doolittle and Ryan Madsen last season and got Blake Trinan, who I don't believe was doing very well with the Nationals at all. And then all of a sudden this year, he's got a .75 ERA. He's like the 2018 version of Zach Britton. And then Fernando Rodney, like they picked up Fernando Rodney. And Juris Familia is a pickup that I love. I know we saw a lot of him when the Mets were going after the Cubs in 2015. And he's been dangerous. And I mean, he's so far so good in Oakland. Um, dare I say they're the real deal, man. Yeah. I think, I think what Billy does better than anybody else is he's honest with himself. Mm-hmm. He knows what his guys are and he knows what his guys aren't. He doesn't fall in love with any one player. And for him, it's all about that shuffle because he doesn't have the benefit of making uh Jason Hayward mistake. You know, no. he doesn't have the benefit of, he doesn't have the benefit of making a Udarvish mistake. And I think because of that, and he has to be creative and that's what he's been his entire, you know, that's what he's been his entire tenure. And no, they don't win year in and year out and they take their lumps, but you better bet that every two or three years, the Oakland A's are going to be there making noise. And it's all because of Billy Bean. Oh yeah. And that crowd, I watched, I've watched part of both games in Oakland where they've been playing Houston, and that crowd is wild. It sounds like a soccer match during the World Cup. I love right. the energy and what he's doing. It's some of the funnest baseball to watch. Like Even their guys that call the games on TV, Ray Fossey's from my hometown, and then they've got a guy, Glenn Kuyper, and then Dallas Braden. Dude, and those guys know how to call a game. like That, to me, like I'm not an Oakland fan, and... I don't really, I mean, obviously I know who Billy Bean is, but I haven't had like that year in and year out admiration for the guy. But those games right now, love them or hate them or don't care about the Oakland Athletics, that is some fun baseball to watch. For someone that's got a pure love for the game, you're watching a team in front of a bunch of fans that are loud as can be into the game. And those announcers that call that game, they're in it, man. They're not talking about side topics. There's no awkward silence. They call that game right as it's going. And, dude, it is some fun baseball to watch. Unreal. Yeah, no no doubt. Dude, well, all right, we'll close this thing out. John, man, I appreciate you again. Um, dude, these conversations are so good, dude. The, the takes you have and you look at everything from a different side, man. I truly appreciate you coming on the show, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, hey, thanks for having me, man. It's gonna be a fun. It's gonna be a fun forty days, dude. Absolutely. All right, man. We'll catch you next time, dude. Take care. All right. Yep. Later.